Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Morning, Lifehouse. Good morning. Turn to somebody, give them a high five. Tell them they're looking okay on a Sunday. Come on, tell them. If you're listening online, do the same thing if anybody's around you. If not, just type it in the chat because whoever's on the other end needs to hear it as well. It is good to have you at Lifehouse this morning. Um, I trust that you just uh, following God this week and hearing from heaven. And I've just heard lots of good reports even this morning. Heard about somebody who got to lead somebody to the Lord this week. Amen. Come on, give God a hand for that. That's an amazing thing. That's what it's all about and super exciting. Uh, we just keep hearing story after story of what God's doing, and um, we just love it, every bit of it. We want to hear those stories, so keep them coming in anytime we get the chance. But uh, I want to just kind of start off talking a little bit about uh, video games. Um, P- PUBG Battlegrounds has 1.7 billion, say billion, billion users, okay? This is a, a game on your phone. Bang, bang, um, Construct 3, say it again. One billion, say billion. One billion users. Garena Free Fire, one billion. Pokemon, one billion. Candy Crush, 500 million. Clash of Clans, 500 million users. Surveys tell us that uh, the overwhelming majority of employees have played games when they're supposed to be working, okay? 80% of, why y'all laughing? 80% of respondents said they gamed at work, and 95% of those people said they did it on their phones, right? These games are kind of everywhere, and they seem to be um, on most people's phones. In a survey uh, by Ask Your Target Market found that 30% of people surveyed consider themselves addicted to these um, games on their phones. And it's not a coincidence. There's a science behind what they do that hooks people into these games. And according to an article, um, The Next Web, the game designers uh, seem to have arrived at a winning formula dubbed the Luddick Loop. Say Luddick Loop. Turn to somebody tell them a Luddick Loop. <clears throat> You're like, what's a Luddick Loop, right? And based on the fundamentals of behaviorism, the principle is simple. Significant feedback in response to an action encourages behavior that is repetitive, if not obsessive, right? Um, a slot machine can provide kind of the perfect representation of, the, of a Luddick loop, um, and it creates this obsessive behavior. When you pull the lever on, a, on, a, on one of those machines, those slot machines that are in a, a, a casino somewhere, you know, there's actions that take place. Things spin, right? There's things that ding. There's lights that come on. All those kind of things. Re- you receive information. You receive it reinforcement. And the machine responds accordingly to all this. And the reward causes us to repeat the action over and over and over again. And then you're hooked. That's how it works. And you might be thinking, up, well, why are you bringing up this whole idea of a Luddick loop? You know, what's that got to do with this morning? Um, because a Luddick loop can divert your attention from something that you should be focusing on, right? And you put, put you over to something that you shouldn't be focused on, right? It can have your complete attention. I, I've got to ask you a question. How many of you have ever spent time doing something that you shouldn't be doing when you should have been doing something that you knew you should have been doing? Yeah, all right, thank you for all the honesty in the house, right? Right? Playing that game, watching that stupid video on your phone, right? Uh, some of you go into the bathroom for 45 minutes, you're watching video. They know what you're doing, they can hear the videos, right? You're in there watching videos, 
right? Yeah, you're not in there. Right, cool. You're watching somebody cutting down a tree. You're watching a cat go up, right? You're watching a cat climb a telephone pole, right? You're watching people jump over buildings. That's one of my favorite. I don't know why people jump from building to building to building, but they do. And you fall into a trance in the restroom for 45 minutes watching your phone, right? Uh, the, a viral loop that was in 2022 was a kid eating corn, talking about corn. That was it. That was the whole video. It went viral. Okay, in 20, it's the Lytic loop. And believe it or not, this happens to us spiritually as well. We can, we can get diverted from what we're supposed to be doing and, and, and not focusing, right? There's these Lytic loops in, in, in a spiritual realm that kind of pull us away from what we should be focused on. And, and we start looking at the trivial things and we start looking at things that are not necessary. And, and, and we start getting focused on things, even in a church, we can get focused on what the carpet color is or the, the seats are or, or the stage lights or anything from there in between or how good the coffee is because we got amazing coffee here, okay? Whatever, yeah, woo-woo, got a woo-woo there, all right? Um, but before Jesus came to this earth or actually before he left this earth, he was super clear on what we're supposed to focus on, right? Uh, what we're supposed to uh, and really um, narrow in on and avoid the letting loops in our life. Uh, Jesus didn't leave that idea to chance. He didn't go away and think, you know, or say something like, well, I'll just let you figure it out. He didn't, he didn't have us guess at what, what he was talking about. He didn't even leave it up for any kind of interpretation, uh, he said, avoid the Lettic loops. Actually, I just said that. He didn't say it, all right? Avoid the Lettic loops, right? And, and focus on the main thing. So if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is a, if you've been in church any length of time, this is a very familiar piece of Scripture. But Matthew 28, 18, if you've not been in church, it's going to be brand new to you. It's going to be an amazing thing, all right? And it, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, I love that. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This should be our Ludic loop. Okay, if you're going to get obsessed about something, if you're going to get uh, make something your occupation, if you're going to get preoccupied, if you're going to participate in something, this should be our Ludic loop. You know, before Jesus returns, we should be we should be focused on looking at going and making disciples of all nations. This was not an unclear statement that Jesus made. This wasn't something that was murky in any kind of way. He said one of his last charges before he left this earth and went to heaven, he said, go make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, make this your obsession. Make this what you do. Uh, make this your deep spiritual focus. But, you know, get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Get it looping in your brain. You ever get something looping in your brain? Let this keep you up at night right? instead of other things. Um, when we go to make disciples, when we go to reach other people for Jesus, we should hear bells and whistles going off, right? Things should be lighting up and on. This should be an adrenaline rush taking place. When you're, when you're talking to someone about Christ, when you're leading, leading them down the path maybe to salvation, and, and you might be thinking, well, you're being a little dramatic, Pastor. No, I'm not. 
This is what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Discipling is the most important work that you will ever do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Once you get saved, once you come to faith, one of the, actually the most important thing you'll do is lead somebody else to Christ. You'll bring them along, right? One, one day, uh, you know, it's the one thing that Jesus gave us. And, I, and one day when I stand before Jesus, what I, I, I don't know if he's going to ask me this question or not. I'm not sure. But he's going to say, you know, I gave you this one thing, right? Kip, I know you're right here in front of me. I gave you this one thing. Did you do it? Did you do it? You know, I, I said, go make disciples and do it in all the world, right? And, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did you do it? Did you go, right? Did you teach them to observe all things that I commanded? Did you do that? Because Jesus said, if you do it, and we should get excited about this because he says, if you do this, I will be with you to the end of the age. If you want Jesus with you in everything that you do, just go disciple. He promises it in God's word. This is one of his promises. He said, I will be with you until the end of the age. To be Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to disciple. And to be a Christian is to be a discipler. All right? Say a discipler. You got to get slurred just a little at the end. All right? That's it. That's the whole enchilada, man. That's what we're supposed to do. We make this so complicated, right? And we do it in church circles, pastors in particular. We're just good at complicating things, okay? We make it so difficult sometimes. We complicate this. We make it about everything else. And Jesus said, just go make disciples. This is the Lytic loop. This is what I want you involved in. Just go make disciples. He said it over, right? And over. Do you know that the word disciple is mentioned 269 times in the word of God? The word Christian is only mentioned about five times in God's word. We talk about Christianity all the time. Christian this, Christian that, right? We got Christian t-shirts. We got Christian bumper stickers. We got, we got, we got, we got Christian mints. We love mints here at Lifehouse, all right? <laughs> That's a thing here, all right? We got mints, all right? They're Christian mints. We sanctify them, thanks, all right? <laughs> but when we're around the mint bowl back there, right, picking out mints for the, for the, for the Sunday morning gathering, are we talking about discipleship, right? Are we getting excited about that? We're just talking about Christianity. 269 times the Word of God talks about discipling. It talks about going and making disciples. To be Christian is to disciple. Better yet, to, to disciple is Christian, all right? It, it's what we do. Um, uh, you know, I, and I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, I could probably just turn off the iPad right now, drop the mic, and we'd be done for the morning and just pray about it. Some of you got excited right there, right, for a second. I'm not going to do that, all right? But this is it. This is the whole enchilada, right? Uh, uh, to say that I'm Christian and not disciple, it, that's kind of like a race car driver saying, I don't really like to drive cars. That, that's, like a, that's like a cook saying, well, I don't really do meals, Okay. Right? That's really what it is. It's like saying, I, I, I love chocolate, and you don't go visit Hershey. Right? It's just, it, listen, if we are followers of Christ, we disciple. Jesus saved us. He brought us out of sin and out of shame and out of guilt, and, and, and he forgave us, and he gave us a future, and he gave us a hope. And he says, what I want you to do is go find other people who need that same thing, Right? That's all there is in the world. I don't know if you know that or not, right? There's only two classes of people. There's people with hope in Christ and people without. That's it. That's the whole thing. 
And if we make this about just attending church and not discipling, we've missed it. If we make it just about attending a life group and we don't disciple, we've missed it. If we make it about our process here at Lifehouse, right, which is community and worship and serving, and we don't have discipling mixed in with that, we've missed it. If we just make it about the music and the message, right, and the mints and the coffee, and we don't disciple, we've missed it. If it's only about my own spiritual journey and not anyone else's, I've missed it. I've completely missed it. Jesus said, do this one thing and do it around the world. Go into all the world. And he said, I'll be with you in that. I'll walk with you in that. I I want Jesus with me. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus with me in everything that I do. He said, just do this. So, uh, you know, um, I have to ask myself the question. When I think about discipleship, I got to ask myself the question. I want you to ask yourself the question. You don't got to answer out loud, but I need you to answer inside, right? Who am I responsible for spiritually and who is responsible for me spiritually? All right, big question, loaded question. Who am I responsible for spiritually and who is responsible for me spiritually? Who exactly am I discipling? Who is it that is discipling me, right? This is a two-way street with things. Who am, I who am I supposed to be walking with in this journey with Christ, and who's walking with me? And I want you to think names, all right? I don't want you to think general concepts and principles. Sometimes when I'm preaching, you think, oh, that's a cool preacher, right? That's in God's words. That's awesome, amen? I want you to think names here. I'm asking you a question, right? Who? Who's doing this for you? Who's in your life? Who are you, who are you leading? right? Um, I don't know if you know this uh, or not, but there should be at least five, five individuals involved in your discipling. It should be you. It should be someone else. It should be Jesus, right? It should be the Holy Spirit and the Father. There should be five of you involved. It starts off as a gang right off the bat when you disciple. It's you and at least one other person right? Go, discipling and walking together. And then it's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit and it's the Father, Listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus with you, and you just find somebody else, you're just just going for a walk with someone. Discipling is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and somebody else. And you're either discipling or you're getting discipled. I like getting discipled. Um, Jesus really throws out or rejects this whole idea of I'm only responsible for me and me alone. He really does. He, he's not on board with the whole philosophy of, you know, you do you and I do me, right? He's not on board with that. I'll take care of my spiritual life and you just take care of your spiritual life. I hear this kind of stuff all the time, right? I'll stay in my lane and you can stay in your lane, especially when it comes to spiritual things, right? Except in the kingdom of God, there's no lanes. There's no lanes. Matter of fact, the word of God says that we just travel that narrow road, right? We go through that narrow gate, uh, together. Matthew 7, 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. That's what it says. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. He, he knows that we're walking a narrow road when we follow Christ. He knows that you're going to need help. He knows that somebody else is going to need help. And we're walking on this narrow road together. It's not about lanes. It's about this narrow path. It's this narrow gate we're going through together. And, and, and we walk together in this. And it's, it's, it's what he said to go do. It's the one thing he gave us. 
Um, I remember years ago, this was many years ago. Uh, can you remember how many years ago? This is my wife, Dixie. Um, about 15 years. She's always good with the numbers, okay? About 15 years ago, this was some time ago, we got the opportunity to go to Jamaica. And, and we went to um, a place called Dunn River. And they're going to put a picture of that up there. There's falls there, okay? That's Dunn River Falls. I don't know if you've ever been to see those. But the unique thing when we went to see this, we thought we were just going to look at the falls and walk around them. Well, when we got there, we found out, like, you can actually go up the falls. Like, they let you climb up the falls, sort of. So what they do is they, they take this group of people and, and you gotta, they'll, they'll get all, everybody all together. There might be 10 of you, there might be 50 of you. And for our group, it was big. It was probably 50 people at least. And they make you hold hands. And the guide, he walks you up through this narrow path. You're literally going up the, you're going up the falls. You're literally walking up the falls. And he said, the key is you got to all hold hands. He said, nobody let go. You got to hang on to each other, and you literally walk up the middle of the falls. And I'm thinking, this is a bad idea, because if number one or number, I wasn't number one or number two, falls right. It's going to be like bowling, you know, the whole way down. But we all lock hands, and and there was this uh, skinny woman in front of me, just this thin little thing, and, and she's in front of me, and then it was me, and then it was Dixie, and Dixie has this older guy behind her. And, and, and we start up these falls, and everybody stays locked on. And Dixie was struggling because this older guy, he couldn't do so well. And she's like dragging him up the falls, <laughs> which means I'm dragging her, right? So I get the bright idea. You know, you know how you, if you ever hold somebody's hand, you don't know them? You know if you let go, that mean, what's that mean? Let go, <laughs> all right? If, if I release, that means you release, right? So I release my hand. This skinny little woman. She doesn't, she, she grabbed me tighter. She's squeezing my hand and, and she would not let go. Cause I was going to try to help Dixie, you know, pull and she wouldn't let go, man. She listened to what the guy said. She clamped down on me. I could not get my hand loose and we drug up that. And sure enough, all 50 of us got up to the top. We're standing in this pool of water, just like talking about how cool this is. And I walked, I said something to this lady. I said, um, I said, I mean, this is a compliment, but you are uncommonly strong. You know, <laughs> I like I mean, I couldn't break free. And, and then she revealed, she says, I'm a climber. She climbs. You know, she was a climber. And I realized it was the connecting together. It, it was going up that narrow little path because there was only one path that we took. And, and everybody grabbing on and holding on together, going up that narrow lane, kept all of us from falling. Nobody went down. Nobody. Young, old, and everything in between we got up through. And it is that narrow path that we're walking up. That's the narrow road that we're going. And Jesus said, you need to do it together. You got to have somebody in front of you, right? Leading you. And you got to be leading somebody behind you that you're hanging on to them. And, and you don't let go, right? That lady had it right. I had it all wrong. If I'd have let go and I'd have slipped, we'd have taken everybody out. And she just didn't let me do it, right? Jesus said, you're going to do this thing together. You're going you're gonna to tie in. This is how it works on the narrow road. We take the narrow road together and we do it, the word of God says, to the end of the age. And Jesus is with us. And he didn't just command us. He, he gave us examples of this in his own life. He showed us how to do this. John 8, 28 says this, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. You hear what Jesus is saying? 
But as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that pleases him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, and you are, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The heavenly Father discipled Jesus, because actually nobody else was qualified, right? And, and Jesus abided in his word, and then he learns from the heavenly Father, and he in turn recruits disciples. Listen to Luke 6, 12. You get the picture here? Jesus is discipled by the Father, then he starts to disciple others. Luke 6, 12 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he, which is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Then when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12 whom he would name the apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who was also become a traitor. They were named. His disciples were named. He had a group of people follow him. They were named. He named them out. He called them out. He, he, he committed to them. And they committed to him. Who are we calling out? Who are we committed to? Right? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, we got a lot of families in here. Some of you are thinking like, I got three, four, five kids, man. I'm just lucky to be alive. Right? You want me to disciple somebody else? Hey, there may be a season. Those are your disciples. Parenting isn't just about, you know, your home and getting them fed and keeping them from bleeding to death, right? It's about discipling those kids. Because one day they're going to leave and they're going to go out. It's about some, some of you, you've raised your children and, and they're gone. And now you can pick up and get a hold of somebody else. And you can, be, uh, you can be that spiritual mother. You can be that spiritual father. While somebody's pouring into you, you can pour into somebody else. It's true. Maybe, you don't have, maybe you've never had kids and, and, and you've got that opportunity. You've got some time to do those kind of things, right? Some of you are saying, well, I'm not ready to disciple somebody else yet. I'm just barely learning on my own. That's okay. Just be a disciple. Go find somebody who will disciple you, who will pour into you. Listen, we got to do this. We got to write the names down. Now, I want you to do that. In your phone right now, if you've got a pen in your hand, some of you are taking notes, write them down. You got some names? Is there any names in your head? Right? This is easy. I'm calling you out. I'm not going to make you turn it in. I promise. All right? But write it down. Who are you meant to? Listen, who are you discipling and who's discipling you? I'm a pastor. I'm looking for people to disciple me all the time. I got two right now that are discipling me. And, and, and I'm, I'm getting, listen, that is a never-ending thing. Jesus said to the end of the age. How many know that's a long time, right? All right, well, it might not be. God might return soon. But until that happens, I get discipled. I get discipled. We had a court meeting um, that some of our leaders, some of our team leaders here uh, on Friday. And one of the things that uh, analogy that I kept using is discipling is really about coaching. Do you know that? It's about coaching somebody to spiritual health and spiritual maturity. It's about coaching, uh, getting coached yourself to spiritual health and spiritual maturity. Uh, experts tell us that the fastest way to, to learn anything is to get somebody to coach you right along the way. 
We know this is true in sports. Any sports team, they have a coach, right? They got somebody who's instructing them. They got somebody who's pouring into them. They got somebody who's kicking them in the rump, right, when they aren't doing it right. Not really physically, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This is true in a career. They got career coaches, and, and they'll come in, and they'll walk beside, right? This is true in your hobby, in whatever hobby you like to do. You get a coach, and, and you'll learn. And, and this is true in spiritually, too. It's true. I remember as a young adult, uh, I was young, and, and some guys in the church, we all got together, and we decided we wanted to go skiing. And so we went and bought skis, and we got this stuff. And one of the greatest things that happened is one of the guys in the church, his older brother was a ski instructor. We went, and we started skiing. Do you know what it's like to, to have an instructor just work with you? It's amazing. We were doing things on skis. Far quicker than, uh, I saw one guy, he, he, was, he was just there the first time, I could tell, right? And, and the last thing you do, you always lean forward. He leaned back, and I watched him sit down on the tail of his skis, and he shot down that mountain about 112 mile an hour right at a tree, okay? Because he couldn't go anywhere. He was locked in, right? But we had a ski instructor, and he coached us every step of the way. He was showing us, and, and we were on some serious hills in a short period of time because we had a coach, because we had somebody... We need somebody spiritually to walk with us. There are Christians that have been Christians for decades and have never coached anybody, never walked alongside of anyone and brought them along in the faith or even sometimes been coached themselves. This is not a, this is not, I think someday when we get to heaven, I think God's going to ask us. I think when we stand before Jesus, he's going to ask us. I think it's going to be a pass or fail kind of thing, right? Because it's only one thing. <laughs> it's not multiple choice. It's not like you got 12 questions to get right. It's just one, all right? Just one. Who am I responsible for? Last thing I want to give you about discipleship. Everyone suffers spiritually without discipleship. The whole team loses when no one's coaching, right? The whole team suffers when no training is happening. The whole team is kind of doomed to failure if somebody's not giving good, godly, spiritual feedback. See, in Scripture, Saul was a guy who um, was not real great about getting coached. He was king, and, and he wasn't real great at listening to those who were around him, and he actually kind of crashed and burned as the first king of, uh, of Israel. And, and uh, I'm going to ask for the worship team to come as I read you this story. you got to understand something about King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was handpicked by God. He was anointed by God to be king. He, 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 um, he had everything going for him as far as what God had laid out for him to be king. And it says this in 1 Samuel 13 and 5, and you see where he begins to lose it. It says this, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people sand, uh, as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, and the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits, and some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. So let me give you just a little scenario of what's happening here. Saul's getting ready to go to war with the Philistines. The Philistines are great in number. His, his warriors start getting nervous. 
The Israeli warriors start getting nervous. He starts getting nervous. Some of them start cutting camp, right? They start taking off because they think they're going to die. And and Saul is waiting for Samuel to come because the idea was back then that the priest, right, and the prophet would come and he would pray and he would give sacrifice and he would seek God about the battle. And Saul was waiting patiently, but then he gets impatient. He didn't listen to his coach. It says this, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him, from Saul. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, and that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, that the Philistines gathered, he starts giving excuses, right? Gathering together at Michmash, he starts, he starts giving an idea why his idea was that he stepped into a priest's role and, and, and did something that he shouldn't have done. And the Philistines now come down, or um, then t- uh, uh, he starts talking about Michmash, and he said, the Philistines now come down to me on Gilgal, and I have not made supplications to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Saul said, Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God and command which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Samuel was the one to make the sacrifice. Saul just jumps the gun, decides to take it on himself. Samuel shows up right when he's finishing because Saul didn't listen to the coaches around him. He just refused to. He, he wouldn't be discipled. He wasn't discipling others. That's a, a, a whole other thing. And if you look to this day, Israel does not talk about King Saul, right? What, what, to this day, what, when you see a, a symbol of Israel, it's the star of David. David was the king that replaced Saul. He was the one that, that Samuel talked about here. You, all you hear about is King David because King David would listen. He failed. King David failed at times, but he would listen to the disciples. He would listen to the coaches. But Saul, Saul literally spiraled from this point on. He spiraled and he walked away from God and he failed in every manner as a king. We need disciples. We need to be discipled in our lives. It is Jesus' plan for the kingdom. This is what we're supposed to occupy and do until he returns. All the others, just peripheral stuff that goes along with it, right? Everything else we do should just feed into this idea of discipling. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. So here's my question. Who are you navigating the narrows with? Who are you coaching? And who's coaching you in the narrows? Who's got your hand up here? turn around and guide you in? And who do you have your hand locked to behind you that you're pulling along in the narrows? This is not, as near as I can tell in the scripture, this is not optional, right? For believers. He's, Jesus has called us to this. What are the names? What are the names? If you don't have a name, now's the time to pray about names. Now's the time. Now's the time to get connected with somebody who's going to disciple you, pour into you. 
we, we try to make all kind of avenues for that here at LifeHouse. We, we believe in community. We believe in life groups. We believe in connecting. And that, for this very reason, because you need somebody pulling you, and you need to be pulling somebody along with you. This is kingdom work. Amen? That's how it works. That's how it works. Because if not, we slip and fall down the falls. Right? We're just cowboying it. We're going to go up there on our own. As soon as you slip, you're taking out six people behind you. Going down the falls. Jesus knew what he was saying. He knew what he was saying. I'm asking you to bow your heads. Father, we come to you today. And Lord God, all I'm asking right now is, is God for names. Lord, for names. Because the first step, Lord, in, in moving towards you and in, in, into a place of obedience is us actually, Lord, taking that first step and realizing that I, maybe I don't have any names. Maybe I don't have anybody in front of me and I don't have anybody behind me. I need at least one of them. I, I, I either need to be discipled or I need to be discipled somebody else or I need to be doing both simultaneously. Lord, who is that? Who, who's that one? I, I know I get involved in things at the church, but who's that one? Who's that two? You know, who's the three? Jesus, you did 12. Lord, how many? What are the names, Lord? What are the names? And Lord, if I don't have a name, Lord God, stir me up. Stir me up. Shake me up. Shake me down. Lord, till I got names. Till I'm, and once I got the names, Lord, till I'm walking in obedience, I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. Give you praise. I heard another story just while we were on break. Would you look up at me just for a minute? Of a young, young man who came in to the mall looking to talk to people about God. <laughs> How's that, man? I'll just go find some names. Right? He just walked up, said he was going into the mall. He says, and why was he there? He's just going to talk to people about God. He's just going to connect. He's just going to grab a hold of somebody's hands, what he's going to do. Right? Tell them about Jesus. The greatest gift you will ever give anybody is Christ. I don't care what else you can afford to give. The greatest gift you will give somebody is Jesus Christ. Is an eternal gift. Eternal gift. for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.